As time passes, things go obsolete. They're no longer relevant. They don't work. In this series, Pastor Fred Price Jr. reminds us that even in this modern age, faith still works. Let's jump in. Foundational scriptures, Hebrews 11, 6 and Romans 8, 8. When you have it, say, I have it. Uh, Hebrews 11, 6 first. Ready, read. But without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Uh, I'm sure we can agree that the him, the he being referred to in this verse is God. Therefore, we could say without faith, it's impossible to please God. All right, flip over to Romans 8.8. 8, and we see a similar statement. Romans 8.8, 8, let's read that together. Ready, read. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. All right, so Hebrews tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And Romans says those in the flesh cannot please God. So if those in the flesh can't please God and those in faith can please God, then when I'm in the flesh, I'm not in faith. And when I'm in faith, I'm not in the flesh. Now, we're, we've been talking in, about faith and discussing faith because it's what we as believers need to know about because it's what we live by. It's what we walk by. Paul says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. And so we established a few things as to what faith is, acting on what you believe, and that faith is a law. And we know that if laws are broken, there will be consequences to us breaking those laws. Therefore, if the law of faith is broken, there are consequences set in place that will happen as a result of breaking that law. But if we stay in the law of faith, then you will see progress in your life. Because... As the scripture said, the just shall live by faith, and without faith it's impossible to please God. If I want to please God or be pleasing to God, then faith must be in the equation, must be in the environment. Now, this past Thursday at, at Bible study, I don't know about you, but I was excited. And we, we, we talked about something. It's, it's kind of got me stirred up, just the word of God. And... Faith and the word go hand in hand. Why? Because faith is acting on what you believe. We as Christians believe the Bible, don't we? So for us, faith is acting on the word of God. It's, 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 it's doing the word. It's, it's living the word. It's being the word. Sometimes, you know, people wonder, well, how come as pastors, especially the word of faith bunch, how come they focus on, on prosperity and healing? money so much because too many people are broken sick that's just the reality of it and God's not happy he doesn't like that but we have this idea that God uh, uh, well well he, there are certain things that are just a part of his will because we think he, he hasn't shown up yet so there's a reason as to why I'm remaining in this yeah, there is a reason, and that reason is you. I, I possess the key to my success or failure. 
In other words, God has a desire for me, and that desire is success and prosperity in every area of my life. That's his desire for me, but he won't make me do it. He desires that I prosper financially, spiritually, soulishly, emotionally, mentally. He desires that I prosper in every aspect, but he's not going to do it for me. He's giving me all the necessary ingredients for me to achieve that. For every child of God to achieve that. But all God's children aren't living up to God's best. And why is that? Well, the foundation of that is the adversary, of course. We all know about the devil and how the devil works. Second Corinthians says we're not ignorant of his devices. So he, we know that he has devices. We know that he's up to some things. The problem is some of us are believing what he says. We're believing what he says. We're speaking what he says. And we're experiencing what he says. And whether you know it or not, if you're living what the devil says, then you're living a lie. Because Jesus says in John chapter 8 that he's the father of lies. He says there's no truth in him, which means that whatever he says is a lie. Even, even his partial truths are lies. He'll, he'll, he'll take something that is true and somehow make it a lie. When he was tempting Jesus in the wilderness, the devil actually quoted a scripture from the Bible. And what he said was true. That's, that's in Psalm 91. But he took it out of context. And so he took the word of God and he tainted it in that, in that context, in that environment, in that situation with Jesus. He took the word and he, he poisoned the word. He tainted the word. So even in his, uh, in, in, in his truths, his truths are partial, therefore still lies. So whatever the devil says is a lie. Why are we believing what he says? It seems like it's so easy to believe the devil as opposed to believing our Heavenly Father. I mean, Jesus said that the devil is the father of lies. There's no truth in him. The word says it's impossible for God to lie. Yet we roll with what the devil says. Now, does that make any sense? Does it make any logical sense? So we're talking about faith now. Does it make any logical sense to believe the words of a defeated enemy? A defeated foe is defeating you. Now, how does that add up? I figure, you know, watching sports playoffs just started. And uh, there were a couple games yesterday, and I really don't care who wins. But I know somebody's going to win. And it's, and it's, it's amazing when, 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 when one team wins, automatically the other team loses. You, you ever notice that? <laughs> when the game is over, whoever the winner is, as a result of them being the winner, the other team is the loser. And, and on that day, there's nothing that that team can do to change the situation. Now, now in, in, in certain sports, they have series, maybe five or seven game series. So that, so that team maybe has some hope to win the series. But that game, they lost. In other sports, it's one, it's one game, win or go home. 
It's amazing, you know, the team that loses, I mean, they can run their mouths all they want, but bottom line, they lost. And really, as a result of them losing, at this point, who cares what they have to say? You lost. And then, now think about where, where I'm going here. We have the word right here. We are a part of the winning team. And we're talking about a team that is undefeated. Whose statistical categories are off the charts. We are a part of that team. Undefeated. No losses. That's the team that we're on, yet some of the team members are experiencing loss. I'm just trying to see how this makes sense. Because from heaven's viewpoint, from God's standpoint, it doesn't make any sense. Let's look at some stuff we already know. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Faith is acting on what you believe. We look at the life of Jesus. We look in the gospel and, and, and we see faith in action. We see action. We, we, we see one speaking. And then corresponding actions come with what that person is saying. All right, look, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, we know this. It says, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. I am God's righteousness. You are God's righteousness. Because you're God's righteousness, that is your position with God. No longer are you robed with sin. You are now robed with righteousness. And because you're robed with righteousness, God has made you a priest. You now have access to the throne. You don't need to rely on a priest to atone for you. You have direct access to the throne of God. Access, not just access, but access with boldness and confidence. Hebrew says, let us come to the throne of grace boldly. You're looking for mercy. You're looking for grace in time of need. I have access to the throne. Right? I'm saying stuff you've already heard. You, you, you all know this. But it's one thing to know something, isn't it? It's one thing to have some knowledge. And what will knowledge avoid? Destruction? Right? Hosea 4, 6 says... My people are destroyed for what? A lack of knowledge. And that's excellent. For where there's knowledge, there's no destruction. But we establish some things. We can't just stop at knowledge, can we? Because what's knowledge? You know something. You know some stuff. But when Jesus was talking to his disciples in Luke 24, it says he opened their understanding so that they could comprehend the scriptures. In other words, it was more than just knowing the scriptures. Jesus needed the disciples to understand the scriptures. And how many of you know, in regards to our knowledge, we need some understanding. We need to understand what we know. And that's the problem. That's why we're not experiencing, we're, we're not experiencing what we know because we don't understand what we know. We've heard about, we, we know about righteousness. We know about sanctification. We know about tithing. We know about giving. We know about faith. We know about love. But we're not understanding it. And because we're not understanding it, there's no change. We, we know exactly what it takes to get from point A to point B, but we remain at point A because of a lack of understanding. We want to reach wisdom. We can't get there if we don't cross the bridge of understanding. 
I am the righteousness of God. Romans chapter 5 says we, that I have access by faith into this grace in which I stand. The grace in which I stand is the grace I'm standing in as a result of receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior. Because I've received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the scripture says, for by grace we are saved. I step into grace when I step into Christ. But notice that the scripture says we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Notice that it is saying that you have access by faith into the grace. But if you continue reading, you're already in the grace. Isn't that interesting? It says access by faith into this grace in which we stand. I'm already standing in the grace. Paul says, yes, you're standing in the grace, but guess what? You also have access by faith into this grace, which means what? That grace is for more than just salvation. The book of Peter talks about God's grace being manifold. Ephesians talks about his wisdom being manifold. And manifold means that there's, there's, there's more to God's wisdom than you think. There's more to God's, there's more to God's grace than, than what you think. It's more than just salvation. That's one part of it. See, the grace of God is the ability to get something accomplished that you could not do on your own strength. The grace of God is also the unmerited favor of God. I don't know about you, but sometimes things, some things happen for me that before man's eyes, it could seem unfair. But according to heaven's eyes, I'm right on target. We have, we have covenant right to walk in divine favor. Divine favor. Like the favor that found Joseph. We got to get this on the inside of us. We got to get this on the inside of us. Let's talk about the word. Because the word is exciting. Let's look at some of the same verses we looked at. Turn to John chapter 1. Another problem that we have is our mouths are closed. Our mouths are closed. We do recall that our mouth was essential in salvation, wasn't it? If you have the ability to speak, then your mouth is required to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. So, so what makes us think that it stops there? That I'm saved now, so there's no, there's no longer a need for me to say something. Mm -mm. No, 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 no. We, we have to say something. John chapter 1 says, what, in the beginning was the Word, right? And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Oh, there's a little switch there, isn't it? Went from the word to he. So it must be talking about somebody, right? All things were made through him. Who's him? The word. We could read it like this. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word was in the beginning with God. All things were made through the word, and without the word, nothing was made that was made. In the word was life, and the life was the light of men. So the word is the logos. The logos is the him. We drop down to verse 14. The beginning part says, and the word or and him, what? Became flesh and dwelt among us. So we know it's talking about Jesus. So what, what are we reading here? Jesus is the word. 
Now, 1 John 5, 7 says there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Spirit, and these three are one. That same word in 1 John 5, 7 is the same word here, John chapter 1, the Logos. Right? Revelation 19 says John is describing a person on a white horse, says his name is faithful and true and righteousness. He judges and makes war. Right? Drop down two verses. It says, and his name is called the Word of God. Jesus is the Word. Go to Hebrews chapter 4. This is good stuff. You know why it's good stuff? Because it's the word. When you get outside of the word, that's when it's bad teaching. What's the mark of a good teacher? Teaching the word. What the scripture says. Letting God speak for himself. Hebrews chapter 4. Look at verse 12. It says the word of God is living. Now we know the Bible is the word of God. Yet the scripture says the word of God is living. That means this book in your hands is alive. It says the word of God is living. It says the word of God is powerful. That book is powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. And it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Verse 13 says, and there is no creature hidden from his sight. His is referring to the word. There's no creature hidden from the word's sight. Jesus Christ is the word of God. When you're reading the scriptures, you're talking to Jesus. Jesus is talking to you. This right here, this is Jesus. This right here, this is the Christ. You want to know what Jesus has to say? Open up your Bibles. Want to know what Jesus has to say about you? We sometimes, you know, I've heard people talk about when heaven is silent. What does that mean? When heaven is silent, when God is silent. What does that mean? If that's the case, God's always silent. No, we want to know, we, we, especially in times of, of, of trouble and crises, when some cataclysmic event happens, that's when everybody shows up in church. I bet you you could check churches, synagogues, mosques, temples. Check their statistics during times of tragedy. I guarantee you everyone's attendance increases. Why? Because something horrible has taken place and we want to know where does God play into all of this? So we come to church because, you know, church is that's the place to be. Right after buildings blow up or tsunamis show up or hurricanes show up and wipe out an entire coast. Let's get in church. And we want to know why this happened. Why this happened is because we let this happen. We want to know what God has to say. He's been talking to us for years. It's right here. We want to know what God has to say about a situation. You want to know what the Lord has to say about what you're going through? It's in the scripture. It's in the scripture. And there are so many things that God tells us not to do and we just do it. How does that make God feel? He's on the throne. What's he saying? I told him not to do that. And life is beating you up, and you're wondering why. Because is, is it that hard to believe that your success is in your hands? Are, 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 
our concept of God overriding our wills. And, and, and if I'm to be successful, that God will determine that. No, God's already determined that. So if you want to be successful in every area of your life, then you take the word and you speak the word and you do the word and you work the word and you live the word. And I, I, I haven't been doing this for a long time, but it's getting to a point to where it's, it's, it's second nature now. I mean, you know what? It is, I am excited to be able to say I don't worry about anything. I don't worry. I, I can't, I don't, I've never been afraid. I, I mean, not to my, to my, there may have been some times I had little moments when I was afraid of something at the moment, but for the most part, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not scared of nothing. I like that feeling of never being afraid. I don't worry. I'm not a doubter. I don't even know how to doubt. How do you doubt? Somebody tell me, how do you doubt? I don't even know how to do that. I've just made up in my mind. I will not doubt. I've made up in my mind. I'm not going to be a warrior. Why? Jesus said, Yo, you didn't have to do that. He said, don't worry about what you're going to wear, what you're going to drink, what you're going to eat. He said, don't worry about those things. Your father knows you need those things. Don't worry about those things. Just seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all those things will be added to you. Right? You guys have heard that a lot, but you need to continue to hear it. Because some of us are still worrying. And we step into worry and we don't even realize we're in worry. We got an awesome pastor that, that teaches us that one of the things I like about Dr. Price is that no sin goes unaccounted for. He covers them all. And some of us focus on just the fleshly stuff. And we have, we, we've made up in our mind, I am not going to do those things. So, so I'm not going to fornicate. I'm not going to commit adultery. I will not get drunk. I will not lie. I will not gossip. We, we, have, we, have, we have convinced ourselves those things are wrong. And yes, they are wrong. But there's some other sins we get into. We don't even realize it. Right? If Jesus says, do not worry and you worry, that's sin. Because do you realize what you're doing when you worry? You're saying, God, you can't handle this. You're saying this is too big for, God, for you. And God said, look here, this is what I want you to do with your cares. Put them on me. That's how much I care for you. Fear? What's, what's fear? What? When the first time fear showed up, God had something to say about it. Matter of fact, let's go to, let's go to the garden. It's amazing. We can always end up in the garden. You know why we always go back to Genesis? Because that's how things are supposed to be today. Because the church is in the earth realm, the church, the, the, a result of the church should be this world as a garden. Jesus came back to place man right in the same position he was before the fall. Have I told you all about the two questions? Huh? I haven't mentioned to anybody about the two questions. It's two questions. Everybody say two questions. 
There, the two questions have been asked since the Garden of Eden. And since that time, up until now, these questions have been asked. One question is asked by our adversary, and one question is asked by our Heavenly Father. Both questions have answers, and we know those answers. The problem is, we can't serve two masters. We can't go in two directions at the same time. So you're going to heed the voice of the devil or of God. But there's two questions. Everybody say two questions. Here's question number one. Yes, the context is the garden, but it's applicable in every area of life. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Are you there? Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said? It's question number one. The serpent said, has God indeed said? Yeah, in the context of the garden, he said, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. But let's apply it into every area of life. The serpent is asking you the question, has God indeed said? In other words, what's he saying? The serpent knows what God has said. The serpent knows you know what God has said. The serpent knows you've heard what God has said, yet he is still asking you, has God indeed said? Has God indeed said you're the head, not the tail? Has God indeed said that? Has God indeed said you're his righteousness? This question obviously has been asked since the beginning of time because that's why the church is in the condition it's in now. We're not all filled with the Spirit, which means that the serpent has approached some individuals and said, has God indeed said the Spirit is for today? Has God indeed said you're all to speak with tongues? That's why we fight. Right? The church agrees on one thing and that's it. That Jesus is Lord. It stops there. We agree he's Lord. We agree he's the way to the Father. But we don't even agree how to get to him, do we? Right? We got some saying salvation is by grace, some saying salvation is by works. Why? Has God indeed said? The service has been playing this game. Has God indeed, has God indeed said you're prosperous? Has God indeed said you're healed? Has God indeed said he'll hear your prayers? Has God indeed said he'll never leave you nor forsake you? Has God indeed said fear not? That's the serpent's question. Well, God also has a question. Same chapter. <laughs> look at the ninth verse. Let's look at the, look at the eighth verse. This is after they mess up, right? We know they mess up. Genesis 3, 8. It says, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? 
So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid. I'm sure God was saying, afraid? When did fear get here? When did fear show up? Because fear wasn't here before. And I was afraid because I was naked. This is what Adam said. I was naked, and I hid myself. And here is question number two. God says, who told you? Now, what's the context? Yes, we can keep it in the context of the garden. The serpent said, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And in the context, God asked, who told you you were naked? But the questions that have been asked since the beginning of time is one by the serpent. Has God indeed said? And the father's asking, who told you that? Who told you that? Because I didn't. God never once told them they were naked, did he? So who told you that? Because I didn't. Watch this. Up until this day. Here it is in the word of God. So when you say something, when you allow something to come out of your mouth that doesn't line up with the word, what's God asking? Who told you that? Who told you you were broke? <laughs> who told you you were sick? Who told you that? Somebody told you that and it wasn't me. Been asking them questions ever since. Who told you not to speak in tongues? As a, and as a matter of fact, after God asked the question, after he asked the question, he's going to give you some further information. Who, who told you not to speak in tongues? Because, see, this is what I told you. I told you that when you pray in the spirit, you're praying to me. I, I told you how to pray when you don't know what to pray for. When you pray in the spirit, you're edifying yourself. You're building yourself up. So who told you that tongues wasn't for you? Who told you that? Who told you that? Has God indeed said? Who told you that? It's right here. It's written in the covenant. It's a contract. This is a better covenant. You guys realize that, right? We're under a, new, we're under a better covenant? That means that we can go from Genesis to... Even the gospel, you know, because, you know, the gospel, the, 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 the latter chapter of the gospel is the New Testament. But up until that point, that's Old Testament. That's Old Testament. Hebrews told us, he says, as long as a man is alive, as long as he's alive, that testament is not in force. So as long as Jesus Christ was alive, the New Testament was not in force. The testament has power after the man is dead. So the New Testament shows up at about what? Matthew 27, 28, hmm? Mark 16 maybe, Luke 24, John 21. Then from Acts to Revelation, and Acts being the history of the church and Revelation being the book of prophecy. So between Roman and Jude, you have the written will. You have the written contract. God, you don't, need, you, you don't need a spiritual manifestation. You don't need an angel to show up to tell you what God is telling you when God has already told you in his word. It's right here. Here's the contract. You want to know what God has to say about your situation? Find it in the contract. Find it in the will. And here you are. And, and think about this. Anything that's in the Old Testament, I mean, there are some promises in the Old Testament, my Lord. 
there are some promises. He said, he told Job, he said, if they obey and serve me, if they do that, they'll spend their days in prosperity and their years in pleasure. What an awesome promise, right? Right, Psalm 35, 27. The Lord has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Malachi 3.10, he says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Hear me now, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not do what? Open for you the windows of heaven, pour out such blessing, there will not be room enough to receive. He even said he'll rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he can't touch the fruit of your land. What did he tell Joshua about, about the word? What, he, what, he, what, he, what did he tell Joshua about this book of the law? He said, meditate in it. How long? Day and night. Then he said, make sure something else happens, that it doesn't depart from where? Your mouth. He says, after you've done that, then what? Make your way prosperous, and what kind of success will you have? Good success. Aren't those incredible promises? Would you all agree that those are incredible promises? And the Old Testament is filled with them. What did he tell Abraham? In you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Blessing I will bless you, multiplying I'll multiply you and your descendants after you. How many promises could we find in the Old Testament? And I said all that to say this, that we have something better than that. Yes. You've got to read an old, you've got to train yourself to do this. You have to read Old Testament promises with New Testament eyes. You read the Old Testament promise knowing you're under the New Testament. So that means if you find a really good promise in the old, it's better under the covenant you're under, which is the new. So this is the contract. So you're reading the contract, and if I'm not mistaken, the contract says by his stripes we're healed. Not we're going to get healed. Not we might get healed. By his stripes, you are healed. Past tense already taken care of. God sees you as healed. It's just a matter of the manifestation taking place in the physical realm. But the contract says, by his stripes, not you might be healed, you are healed, and the devil has the nerve to say, has God indeed said you're healed? And we're feeding into it. And we're buying it. All he has are thoughts, ideas, and suggestions. That's all he did with Adam and Eve. Just suggested something. He was real nice about it, too. He suggested it. And what did they do? They just bought it, didn't they? Didn't they? Who in God's name would possess an Ananias and Sapphira to keep back a part of the land? A part of the revenue. What did Peter say? Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? That means that all Satan did <clears throat> to Ananias and Sapphira was make a suggestion. They heard the suggestion. They allowed it in. And they dwelled on the suggestion. And they dwelled on the suggestion so long that Ananias and Sapphira began to talk about the suggestion. And next thing you know, they're doing it. The scripture says Satan put it into the heart of Judas to betray Jesus. That means that the devil simply suggested something to Judas. He dwelled on the suggestion. He allowed it to come out of his mouth. And next thing you know, he's doing it. 
So the devil is suggesting something to us. We're dwelling on it. Then we're speaking it. And it's manifesting in our lives. And the whole time, by his stripes, you are healed. Listening to the devil's suggestions doesn't change the word. You can die of a disease, and the scripture still says, by his stripes, you are healed. And what's God saying? Who told you that? Who told you you were worthless? Who told you you were depressed? Who told you to worry? Who told you to doubt? Who told you to let your heart be troubled? Who told you that? Who told you not to tithe? Who told you not to give? We got the nerve to debate over the word as if maybe that's not really what it's saying. Oh, that's the devil. Masterful at his tricks. He's allowed other sins to come under the disguise of religion. So now certain sins don't look like sins because they're robed in religion. So now we got fundamentalists and legalism in the church. You know, if you don't do it this way, it's the wrong way. If you don't do it this way, then it can't be done. How'd that stuff get into the church? God didn't let it into the church. Obviously, we let, the, we let it into the church because when Jesus left, he said, look here, I'm going, I'm going to my father. In other words, what was he telling the disciples? He was telling his disciples, I deserve this vacation for what I've just gone through. None of y'all went to the heart of the earth. None of y'all died for mankind. I've done that. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to the Father, and I'm going to sit right next to him. And we're just going to talk, and we're going to converse. And then God says, tells Jesus, you stay right here until I make your enemies your footstool. And right before Jesus left, he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And then he said, go. And when he said go, that was the transfer of authority, which means as far as the earth realm is concerned, I've been given authority and dominion over this place. Therefore, if something got into the church, I let it in. If something's in the church that shouldn't be in the church, it's because the church let it in the church. Because the devil can't just roll up in the church and just do whatever he wants. But he knows he can't show up in his grotesque nature. I mean, come on. If he shows up like he shows up in the exorcist or the omen, we're not buying that. We're not receiving that. Oh, no, he's going to show up beautiful, pretty, and handsome, and appetizing. And he'll just make a suggestion. And what do we do? We mull over it in our minds. We dwell on it. And we forget that there are principles in effect all the time. Like what comes out of your mouth. You know, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Let's forget about the death and life part for a second. The scripture had the nerve to say this power in the tongue. And he says death and life are in that power. I can speak death. I can speak life. It's, oh, gosh. You know what? This is, this is why we have to teach the same stuff all the time. We have to talk about the same stuff. I talk to you about your dominion and your authority and your righteousness and your sanctification and faith. You need to hear this all the time. You can't get enough of it. 
We can stop talking about it when every person that calls themselves a Christian is living like what the word says we should live. Then we can move on to something else. We could talk about some other things when everybody gets it. You know, maybe we'll stop laying hands on people in the service when no one's sick. Right? When pastor makes the call to come forward to have hands laid on and to pray the prayer of faith, well, when nobody shows up, hey, maybe everybody got it. But you know what? Up until this point, people still come forward to receive healing, to have hands laid on them, which means that everybody's not getting it because you don't need me to lay my hands on you for you to receive your healing. Now, he did say that believing ones will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. But for the, your entire life as a Christian, you do not need someone to lay their hands on you. Because if you're believing one, you can lay hands on yourself. He said believing ones would lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. I don't know about you. I will put my hand on my forehead and say, in the name of Jesus. Why? I qualify. I'm a believing one. He just said these signs will follow those who believe. Not those in charge. Those who believe. Right, he said, according to your faith, be it unto you. That's the greatest scripture in the Bible as far as I'm concerned, Matthew 9, 29. Because what does that tell you? Man, you could do anything. The world is yours. The world is yours. And it's just you and God, according to my faith. I don't have to be concerned about anything y'all say in regards to my measure of faith. Because it's according to my faith. And it's according to your faith, be it unto you. That's been here ever since. See, it's time for us to start doing stuff that makes no sense. If, that, if you can receive that and if that makes sense to you, understand that we need to begin to do stuff that makes no sense. That makes absolutely, unequivocally, no logical sense. It seems to me that the greatest... Men and women of the Bible did stuff that just didn't add up in the mind. That on the surface appeared to be literally insane. But do you notice that those are the people that are still being talked about today? Those are the people that people outside of the faith talk about. Can you find sense in the story of Noah? You can't find it. You can't find it. You can find the God kind of sense, which is faith, but you can't find logical sense, right? It never rained. Why would you build a boat? Because God told me to. Dude, you done lost it. That would have to be the end result of that conversation. You've lost it. What is rain? That's never happened on the earth. Water falling from the sky? Yet it's amazing. Noah didn't start building the boat when he saw the rain. He heard the word of God, and he moved on the word of God. The rain came after he built the boat. See, some of you are believing for new cars, but you won't clean out the garage. You're waiting for the car to show up, then you'll clean the garage out. That's not how faith works. The way faith works is, even when there is no physical evidence of the vehicle, you are cleaning your garage as if you are making space for the vehicle to pull right in. That's how that works. That's how faith works. You deal in what makes no sense, but to God it makes sense. Right? Right? Gideon and the army of 300? 
That doesn't make sense. Joshua marching around the walls of Jericho? Doesn't make sense, right? Abraham did a number of things that made no sense. You leave your family's house to a land you've never been to, and then later on in life, you take your son to an altar to sacrifice him? Doesn't make any sense, right? Jehoshaphat was in a, a situation similar to Gideon, right? God said, look here, all you got to do is praise me right now. On the battlefield, when it's time to fight, God says, praise and worship. Don't make no sense. But they did it. Not, not waiting to see something, right? Same with the lepers. Jesus just said, go see the priest. And 10 lepers said, okay. Instead of trying to figure out why would I go see the priest if I still have the leprosy? See, that's where the devil comes in. Now, why would you go see? See, thoughts, ideas, and suggestions. Why would you go see the priest and your leprosy is not cleansed? Right? He comes with that. We dwell on it. We don't go see the priest. Jesus just said, go show yourself to the priest. Man, if Jesus is telling me to go see the priest and I'm only supposed to see him when I'm cleansed, that means by the time I get to the priest, I'll be cleansed because Jesus told me to go. It's that simple. Why? He's the word. Whatever the word says, do it. Stop trying to figure out how it works. Stop trying to dissect it. Just do it. Oh, we're done. All right. We walk by faith, not by sight. Thanks for listening. Our hope is that you received something that you could apply to your life and strengthen your faith. At Crenshaw Christian Center, New York, we believe that the Word of God is practical for everyday application. Feel free to stay in touch with us via social media, or you can give us a call at 212-749-9323. If you're in the New York area, you're welcome to join us at one of our services. Our Sunday morning service is at the New Yorker Hotel at 9.45 a.m. That's on 34th Street and 8th Avenue in New York City. Or join us for Bible study on Thursday evenings at our fellowship office, 470 7th Avenue on the 6th floor, right in Herald Square. Thanks again for listening. And remember, walk by faith, not by sight.